0: Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very pleased to introduce to you Dory Clark. Dory helps individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was honored as the number one communication coach in the world at the Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Awards. She is a keynote speaker and teaches for Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. She is the author of several books, including Entrepreneurial You, which was named one of Forbes' top five business books of the year, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. And her latest book, The Long Game, will be coming out this September. Dory is a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and consults and speaks for clients such as Google, Yale University, and the World Bank. She is a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, a producer of a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album, and a Broadway investor. And you can also download Dory's free long game self-assessment workbook and learn more about Dory and her work at doryclark.com forward slash the long game. And I think after you've listened to this interview, you are going to be really excited to download that self assessment and you know one of the key themes that we cover here is you know what actually makes for long term success and we look at the differences between thinking short term and you know quick wins quick rewards versus really taking that long view approach And I invited Dory to be with us today because this is an issue that I see show up repeatedly with authors where there's a tendency, especially for first-time authors, to grossly underestimate how much time it takes to produce a quality book, to obtain representation, to close a book deal. And then once the book is out, way too many authors give up on their marketing efforts too soon. And so this is a great episode to listen to and be sure to make a note of some of the traps that you might be vulnerable to falling into and make sure that you create some support in your life so that you can avoid those traps and really experience long-term success as an author. So that's all I have to say about the episode for right now. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy. So Dory, welcome to the Author's Corner. Hey Robin, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. I'm so excited to have you, and I've been really anticipating this interview because we're going to talk about playing the long game in a what is it? A short game world. Help me out here.
2: Yeah. Um, long, be, how to be a long-term thinker in a short-term
1: world. That's it. Yes, how to be a long-term thinker in a short-term world, which is your upcoming book, which is coming out September 21st of this year. So that's super exciting. And, you know, I'm so excited to have you here because I know that a really big barrier to authors seeing the success that they want to see with their book once it's out in terms of actually generating momentum around sales is that they have a tendency to think very short term. And the pattern is kind of to promote the book for the first one to three months. And then if it doesn't catch on right away to move on to other things. So I'm really hoping that you'll be able to provide some insight for our listeners about some of the benefits of long-term thinking. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your background for the, for our listeners and just specifically what led you to write this specific book?
2: Well, what made me want to write the book, Robin, is over the past five years, I've run an online community called Recognized Expert, which is for professionals, you know, sort of smart, interesting professionals that are really good at what they do and they have good ideas to share, but they might not necessarily be sure how to get the word out and how to build their platform and how to get their ideas heard. And so it's it's really about becoming the recognized part of being a recognized expert. (laughs) And so more than 600 people have been through the program. And so I have managed to get a pretty good longitudinal perspective of what it actually takes and how long it takes for people to be able to develop a known brand. I mean, certainly I have an n of one with, with me and that informed my perspective, but really it was the process of running the recognized expert community and seeing trends and patterns over time that made me want to write this book. Because for me, the saddest thing in the world is somebody who is smart and talented and has good ideas giving up too soon. And the trouble is when you're in the middle of it, is really really hard to tell the difference between something that is not working and something that is not working yet. And I wanted to write a book to help people be able to make that distinction and think through when and how to persevere so they can get to the other side.
1: Yeah, and that is such an important thing what you said is like something that's not working and something that's not working yet. And that also brings me back to our audience of authors, where you know there's this whole aspect of growing a platform right? so that you can even get the book deal, so that you can even worry about your book sales. <laughs> and it really is true. I, why do you think so many people give up too soon? Do you think they have an unrealistic idea in the beginning of how long it takes? Or what do you think is the reason why people give up too soon? I
2: think there's a couple of things, which tie into each other. One certainly is <laughs> social media doesn't help because as humans we tend to compare ourselves to others in general. Like that's that's how we understand what's normal. That's how we frame things. There's a great quip that I quote in the long game by H L Mencken who was the about 100 years ago he was sort of the, you know, the Mark Twain of his day and he said that that true wealth, true success is making a hundred dollars more a year than your brother-in-law does. (laughs) And, you know, let's, let's adjust for inflation, but it's still true. But ultimately these days, it's not just our brother-in-law, right? It's kind of everybody. It's not, we're not just seeing the people around us. We're seeing all the people. And so it really can appear that everybody else has it figured out. Everybody else, it's going faster. It's going better. I think that's a big part of it. But the other piece, you're exactly right. I think oftentimes there are some dramatic either over or underestimations of what something will take. And one of the stories that I tell in the long game is actually about a sort of story that, that Jeff Bezos tells in the 2018 Amazon shareholder letter. And he talks about a friend of his who actually you know wanted to get good at yoga and hired a handstand coach. And the handstand coach revealed the average person thinks it takes about two weeks in order to master a handstand that it turns out no 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 <laughs> it takes about six months of daily practice yeah. to be able to do that and so if we just apply that out to our life this is literally <laughs> people misunder you know underestimating it or misunderstanding it by a factor of 12 it is shocking the degree to which we sometimes, don't appreciate what is involved in being able to do something well.
1: Honestly, Dory, as I'm listening to you, as someone who was a competitive gymnast for 10 years in my youth, I don't know that I ever mastered the handstand. <laughs> and I practiced a good solid 20 hours a week, of course, not just on handstands, but because there really, it is, it is a difficult skill, especially if you want to hold it for a long time. That's for sure. <laughs> And come out of it gracefully. (laughs) So, yeah. And and I think that that, you know, that whole idea of, I think so many people are looking for that instant fix, like the instant author, the instant authority, the instant, you know, having a thriving business. And I don't think it's ever really been true that you could do that. So maybe what you're saying about the social media, like maybe it's the challenges that our expectations have changed, not so much that the process... (laughs) Is really all that different. What do you think about that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, one of the, the people that I profile in the book is my friend. He's been a coaching client for about six years now, Ron Carucci. And Ron is somebody that over the course of the past, you know, six, five or six years has really dramatically expanded his profile. He has now done, you know, hundred plus articles for Forbes and Harvard business review. He's given multiple TEDx talks. One of them has been seen over a hundred thousand times doing really well. And he is somebody that certainly a lot of other people would look at and say, Oh, well it's, you know, it all happened so fast for him. It's all, Oh, it's so successful. And, what I love about my interview with Ron in the book is that he really shares kind of what the journey is like on the inside. Because he says, look, we all sort of nod and say, oh, yeah, there's no magic bullet. Oh, yeah, there's no overnight success. But he says, all of us secretly think that there is, and all of us secretly want it.
1: I secretly hope that there is. Right? I'm going right. to be the exception, though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
2: And so, of course, you know, meanwhile, these, you know, these things are, are unfolding and, you know, it's not one thing that does it. It's, you know, it's it's 10, it's 100. And so what enabled Ron to be able to start, you know, regularly contributing for these august publications is literally the hundreds of articles that he wrote basically in obscurity before that for his own company blog. You know, the issue was that nobody really saw them aside from people that already knew Ron and were already looking for it. But he was honing his skills. And so it was able to go fairly quickly once he trained his sights on doing the right thing, which is, oh, how do I get into places where more people will be exposed to my work? But it was far from overnight in the process to be able to get there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's even reminding me also of another area of, you know, like being an artist, right? So I had a recent conversation with my cousin because I actually commissioned her daughter to do a painting for me. And, you know, she was asking what I paid her for it. And she thought that that was a, a lot of money. And she goes, well, you know, she, she said it only took her about 10 hours to do the painting. And I said, no, it took her hundreds of hours to develop the skills that enabled her to do the painting. Boom. That's it. You know? And I think that that's really what we're talking about. Right. It's like, I think that what happens, you know, from the outside, looking in at like so-called overnight success, I think it's because like the person, by the time the person becomes visible for you to even notice that they're on the journey of success, there's already so many years, you know, months, days, years behind them of preparing to be seen even that it can appear that the person just rocketed to success, but it, it really isn't the case.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So do you have any pointers for people who are feeling frustrated with how long things are taking? (laughs) Which is a lot of us Fair for common, sure. Right, right. I mean, I think we all have those days.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I do. And in fact, one of the concepts that I talk about in the long game is what I call looking for the raindrops. Because I think a problem that a lot of us have is that when we think about success, like, hmm, what would success look like? What we're envisioning is, is the big win. You know, oh, well, success is hitting the New York Times bestseller list. Success is getting on Oprah's podcast. Oh, success is when I'm on Good Morning America. And I mean, yes, that is success, but that is really rare and really hard to get to. And frankly, even if you do get to it, that takes a long time. And so there is a huge period in between now and then. And if you don't have the patience of Job, it would be extraordinarily difficult to wait in between if you, if you thought that that was the only, the first and only sign of success instead raindrops as I like to think of it are the small, very subtle initial hints that something is moving in the right direction. And they're the kinds of things that are often easy for us to dismiss. We might overlook them. We might not notice them. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but (laughs) I, I think we need to really embrace them and focus on it. And it's things like, oh, okay. You know what? You're not on Good Morning America, but you got invited on a random podcast from somebody that doesn't know you because they heard about your book. That's success. Or you got you start getting all these friend requests on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn because people are hearing your name. They're interested in you and learning more about your work. You get invited to speak at a conference and maybe, okay, maybe it's not paid at first, or maybe they want you to do a workshop, but not the main keynote.
1: Do not (laughs) overlook that. That is a sign of progress. So true. So true. So paying attention to the the forward movement that you have along the way really helps you stay in the long game. So let me ask you this, because one of the things you said very early on was some, you know, many people quit too soon. Do you have any pointers for somebody to figure out? How do you know the difference between quitting too soon and really quitting because maybe you should try something else?
2: Yes. This, this of course is the million dollar question, right? Because nobody wants to be the sucker that, you know, is like in 2020 being like, yeah, but this is a really amazing fax machine business. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I know it's coming back. I know the fax is coming back.
2: That's yeah, right.
1: Right there. Like, <laughs> We're the a market 20, leaders. Warehouse filled with refurb sac- faxes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I, I think that there's, there's a few things to keep in mind. The first is something that is certainly a best practice uh, that not a lot of people follow, but I would recommend following, is at the outset, in the early days of your project, you know, this is when you're the most rational, right? It gets hard to be yeah. rational when you're in the thick of it because we tend to either be, you know, way too up, like, oh, it's it's just around the corner, it's gonna happen. Or sometimes we just plummet into the depths of this, oh, it's never gonna work, nothing's, nothing's going right. You know, and, and you get a little crazed. But in the beginning, before you have definitively committed, this is the time to look at something rationally and say, okay, if I were to do it, what would the metrics of success be? What would it actually look like? If we're six months into the business, if we're 12 months into the business, how much revenue should we have earned? Or whatever the way of thinking about it is, And you write down your assumptions and why you're assuming that. And then you get to that point and you evaluate and, you know, okay, fine. If there's been some crazy extenuating circumstance, then, you know, maybe it doesn't invalidate it. But if your projections are really off, if you're like, wow, I should definitely be able to do this handstand in two weeks and three months in, you know, it's not happening. Well, guess what? And this is important. You either had very erroneous assumptions, which you need to correct Or maybe there's a problem with your execution and you need to start asking the questions about which it is and trace that back. So I I think that that's really one piece. If you're already in the middle and already irrational, (laughs) then the thing to do is to talk to your rational friends. And this is why I am a big believer, I talk about this in my first book, Reinventing You, of creating a mentor board of directors, of people whose advice you you trust, because even when you're a little deranged up or down about your idea, they are the people who can give you honest feedback about how you're doing and, and you know whether you're actually making the progress you should.
1: Well yeah, and you know, I think I th- I'm glad you qualified friends because <laughs> I think that when you're trying to go to a new level, not all of your friends are going to be the best judge of whether you're on track or not. Because, so I think I think it's about friends who maybe have already succeeded in the area that you're wanting to grow. So I don't go to my friends with jobs for entrepreneurial advice, right? Yeah. Especially in the early days, because they all would have told me to quit and get a job quickly, right? <laughs> absolutely
2: you have to judge wisely there is certainly a place for people who just love you you know like yes. your your mom and you know whatever you want you want the people who are like oh baby that's wonderful you know like that's great but you are exactly correct they are not the people who are the judge of whether your your venture is proceeding as it should and that really needs to be people who who both care about you legitimately, they, they want the best for you, they don't have to be your best friend, but they want the best for you, and people who are knowledgeable enough to be able to give you reasonable guidance about that field.
1: And this is obviously where having a really great coach can also be really key. That is true. Yes.
2: In the long game, I actually have a section talking about that because, you know, we often, there's certain areas where like everybody knows, you know, well, sports coaches, of course, like that's a thing. It's interesting and surprising, but we can, and I would argue we should have coaches in all kinds of areas, you know, whether it is in fact a book coach, that is really wonderful, or I actually, it's one of the things that I talk about in my book is the fact that I started about five years ago writing musicals. And so I hired a musical theater coach, which was extremely helpful.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, I have a policy because I work from home. So I don't have to rent an office, right? Or any brick and mortar location. So my policy is that I always have a coach. And the reason is that I have to I have this little piece of real estate right here between my two temples this little six inches of real estate that's worth a lot of money if it's taken care of yes (laughs) and you know as i've gone through i pay more and more for coaching but (laughs) It's because I'm moving into better neighborhoods. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
2: Yeah. You, you and, gotta, you gotta you do know, the, the maintenance, the HVAC, the repointing, right?
1: all exactly. the things. You gotta, you gotta change the paint sometimes. And you know, it, to me, it's, it's rent. It's rent. It's a line item overhead line item that I have to pay. And, so yeah. and I've, and I've worked with many different coaches because I've needed different people different kinds of expertise at different points. So
2: what kinds of things out of curiosity, Robin, have you had coaches for?
1: Well, I've had several different business coaches. I've also had a stand-up comedy coach. Amazing. (laughs) I have a guitar teacher. I have a vocal coach. So actually these days I've got several coaches and, but, you know, even in terms of business coaching, right? Like I, I focused on working with people who had the right information for me or the right skill set to guide me through a particular stage that I was in. And I found that it just very naturally, you know, some people I've worked with for three years or more, others, maybe just, you know, one or two years, but it's always just been a really so beneficial because I've just found that I work with them until I just know that it's time to move on to the next, whatever that's going to be. Yes. And, you know, I'm friends with all of them still, which is nice, you know, so, but it's just been so helpful. So helpful. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I know. I'm so curious about your musical theater stuff. We'll have to talk about that. Sometime. <laughs> okay, definitely. <laughs> so for you in your own long game experience, like tell us the story that maybe really illustrates what, the, what your core message is for your book and what you really want your readers to take away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this is as good a place as any to talk about musical theater, as a matter of fact, because, you know, ultimately my contention in the long game is that while it would be nice, it would be very good if things happened fast. Mostly they don't. And so we either need to reconcile ourselves to that or we just quit and give up. And sometimes that's the right answer. But if we actually really want the thing, then we probably need to you know, learn to deal with it and, and learn to be not just patient, because to me that implies a level of passivity that I don't really like, but strategically patient. And mm. so my book is is really about that. And so in the case of musical theater, About five years ago, I decided I wanted to learn to write musical theater. And so I created a 10 year plan for myself. And the 10 year plan was that I would write a show, I would get it on Broadway for the 2026 season. And so I started literally not knowing anything about how to write musical theater. I was not even that big of a fan of musical theater. Like I just did not, I didn't really know the canon. Like I had no idea. And over the course of five years, I'm now at the halfway point in this, I have now dramatically upped my cultural literacy around musical theater. I have been accepted to and graduated from a pretty prestigious musical theater training program run by BMI. I'm part of their advanced workshop now. I've written a complete musical which, you know, now I'm networking with directors and producers and uh working to get a workshop reading of it. So I am pretty much right on schedule. You know, I mean we'll see. We'll see what happens in 2026, but I think one of my points is that if you have a long enough runway, you can accomplish almost anything. And it's just about being strategically persistent in moving it forward.
1: That is so mind-blowingly exciting. I mean, how did you even have the courage to take that on five years ago? Well, you
2: know, it was certainly not easy for, from a self-esteem point of view. When, <laughs> once I got in, you know, the, fir- the first time I applied to the BMI program, I was rejected. I was not even just like rejected. I was I was rejected. Like They have multiple stages of the application process. I was rejected from the first stage. They're just like, no, talk to the hand. And so, in fact, that is why I got a coach. I, the second time around, I'm like, I'm going to get into this thing. And so I hired a coach who was in the program and I'm like, okay, what do I need to know? It, and it was, it was so invaluable because, you know, I couldn't guess. I had no idea what they were after, but yeah. this person like really helped me understand, okay, this is what they want. This is what they're talking about. This is what they're optimizing for. And so it was like, oh, okay. Because there's so much that's implicit knowledge and that was very valuable but once i actually got into the program you know i discover so i mean i've pretty much never written musical theater you know i'm just sort of just learning i'm like well this is great it's a training program i'll get trained and it's like meanwhile two of my classmates literally have master's degrees in musical theater i'm just <laughs> like are you joking <laughs>
1: You know, but I love what you're saying because this is so similar to the publication process and like pitching, you know, there's several people who come to us after having tried to compose a book proposal on their own, having tried to get an agent on their own. And it's not that they have a bad idea. It's just that they don't understand the format. And like you said, all these implicit rules that nobody actually tells you, but it's just they just in the industry, they know it when they see it and they know it when they don't see it. And if they don't see it, you're not going to get a deal.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. A lot of the knowledge is stuff that it's not necessarily that people are hiding information from you. Although sometimes it's the case, it's mainly that they have not unpacked it themselves. It's just completely implicit. And so they, they wouldn't even know where to start. And so so what you need is is sort of a guide like you who has studied the process, who's able to understand it. I mean, I I think about this all the time because I have a lot of clients in my executive coaching work that want to break into the Harvard Business Review. Mm -hmm. And, you know, HBR has some guidelines on their website. Great. Okay. You know, they'll tell you the sort of obvious things like, well, it should be this many words and it should have, you know, this and this and this. It's like, okay, great. There's a lot more that is not said. and I, I have spent the past ten years like trying to break down and understand this process. And so I've developed enough pattern recognition at this point that I mean, I can tell you almost instantly why a piece will or will not work and why. I think actually in a way that you know, probably like the the editors would know, will it work or not, But I think they would probably have a harder time. explaining explaining, the rationale. Right. Exactly.
1: Um, exactly. So yeah,
2: it's an interesting process that comes from really reverse engineering something in depth.
1: Exactly. And only, but see, when you're able to do that, it's because you've succeeded. So like when I was hearing you say about how you hired a coach and then your very next application, you got accepted. My first thought was, if you hadn't have hired that coach it would have been 10 years probably for you to even get accepted to the program because you would have had to have so many rejections and then so many so much unpacking right and trying to figure out how to even get into the program which is why so it's like the long game with coaching is a shorter game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your next one. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The blockbuster sequel, the somewhat less long game.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Love it. Very good. Very good. Gosh, what have I not asked you, Dory, that our listeners really need to know here today that I should have asked?
2: Oh, my goodness. Well... You know, just in the spirit of thinking through something that I think would be close to the heart of many of your listeners is one of the people that I profile in the long game is a friend, you know, also a a longtime client of mine, who's a, a woman named Ann Sugar. And she is an executive coach. She writes for Harvard Business Review. And one of the stories that I tell in the book is actually about her adventures In writing for another publication. So she, she started writing for this other publication. And again, you know, this is all free, you know, (laughs) It's, it's like the usual thing. You're giving your blood, sweat and tears for free. So there's a publication she started writing for a pretty high profile one. And she wrote for them for six months. She did 35 pieces. And at the end of six months, her editor who, you know, mind you was two years out of undergrad, fires her. (laughs) from her free position and says, sorry, we don't actually think your work is creative enough for us. Yeah. And if you think about how any of us would receive that, like, okay, I've been doing this for six months on my nights and weekends for free.
1: And and 35 articles in six months is no small task. I'm so proud of myself if I can do one a week.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's serious. It's, it's hard. Yeah. And so, I mean, she was really upset as you might imagine. And so I really commend her approach because what she did, she said, well, I need some perspective. I need to talk to some people. So she reached out to friends and colleagues and she said, well, you know, has, has something like this happened to any of you? What did you do? And she reached out to a you know number of people and many of them encouraged her. But she reached out to one woman and the woman said, oh yes, almost exactly the exact same thing happened to me. I was writing for this place and then they said it was no good and blah, 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 blah. And Anne said, well, okay, well, what did you do? And the woman said, I never wrote again. And Anne said, well, damn. <laughs> and she realized in that moment, she's like, well, that's not what's going to happen to me because Anne loved writing and she realized that if she let this derail her permanently, the way that it had for this other woman, it was all going to be in vain. And Mm -hmm. so she vowed that she would get back on the horse. And within three months, she had landed at another publication, which she continues to write for, where they actually appreciated what she was doing. And it was, you know, as prestigious, if not more prestigious publication. I mean, just because, you know, some little asshole tells (laughs) you. (laughs) That your work is not good does not mean your work is not good. And it does not mean that you should quit forever. And I think it's really powerful and important to realize that even if you get a roadblock, even if you get rejected, even if you get dissed in that way, that continuing to move forward is is really essential to the mission.
1: So true. So true. And that that is the key, right? Is just not giving up. And I just, as I'm listening to this story, I'm like, well, it was good enough for them 35 times. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) That is like, that is really crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, not giving up, seeking coaching if you're stuck or you realize that it's going to take way too long to even play the long game if you don't get help. What's another core piece of advice that maybe we could end with today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, ultimately one of the things that stays with me in writing the book, I actually have a a section where I talk about some of the recent, in fact, recent failures that I've experienced because in 2019, I set myself a series of five goals and they were, they were all stretch goals and I knew they were stretch goals, but they were also not unrealistic stretch goals. They were all things that were plausible if uh, the stars aligned. And so throughout the course of 2019, which, you know, was like, that was when things were normal, <laughs> just like one by one, they kept blowing up. I had a major Media organization approached me about possibly becoming a columnist. And they were interested in that. They had me submit four sample pieces over a period of like 18 months. It, you know, it started it, like the year prior. And they kept coming back to me like, oh, well, you know, can you do this sample? Can you do this sample? Then finally they just rejected me. <laughs> there was a major talk, the uh, conference that I wanted to speak at that I, you know, I, I made my little submission tape and whatever. And, you know, normally I get paid to talk, but for this one, I made my little submission tape. <laughs> they, they literally never got back to me. And just, you know, obviously I did not speak there. The conference went on. They literally never got back to me. I had a thing. With, I wanted to option the rights to my favorite movie to actually turn it into a musical. And the director said yes, and he agreed. And he even said he wanted to partner with me on it. We started working on it. And then a few months in, he said, Oh, actually, no, sorry. I want to turn it into a play by myself. (laughs) Okay. And then the last one, the book related one, I was working on a book, like literally wrote a proposal wrote a sample chapter ready to go with a very successful, famous author. And we were going to co-write it together. And this is going to be a really big deal. And then this person got a $1 million book deal for a book that was not our book. And so he ended up you know, saying, sorry. <laughs> Not that I blame him, but really? nonetheless. So, literally, all of these things, it's just like, oh my God, when is this going to turn around? And finally, finally, at the end of the year, it was literally late November, the last piece, the last thing that I had hoped for actually did come to fruition. And there was a big award, and I won it. And that was really exciting and really meaningful. But just slogging through all of that, we all experience at whatever point in our careers, even when we're fairly well-established, we go through runs where it's just like, oh my God, things are not working. And it's just important for all of us to recognize that those those stretches come and that it, it is important to keep moving forward, to keep playing the long game. And in fact, I will just mention for folks that are interested in how to hone that a little bit more, I do have a a free resource, which is the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment, and folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game.
1: Awesome. Great. Well, I'm going to be sure to check that out. And Dory, thank you so much for being here with us today on The Author's Corner and sharing all your amazing wisdom. And we look forward to your book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World, coming out this September. So everybody, keep your eyes out. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for tuning in to
0: another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.